All right, well, one thing that would typically be happening uh, that is not able to take place this month is our Fall Fest. Uh, but Halloween is on its way, and I, I don't know, that, that feels extra risky. I think if any year Halloween should be canceled, uh, it would be this one. Uh, but, you know, certain real-life headlines are already uh, taking place. What about this just in time for Halloween? 81-year-old pronounced dead, found alive hours later in Russian morgue. Here's what it says. Zenaida Konakova, 81 years old, was pronounced dead on the table during an operation, but it seems as though one doctor didn't do enough to check her vitals, as discovered by some likely petrified morgue workers. This story started at Gorshkachinsky Central District Hospital in Russia. These are all the Russian names. During an operation, Zenaida was pronounced dead at 1.10 a.m. and was taken to a nearby morgue. But when a worker came to check on the body at 8 a.m., Zenaida had moved to the floor. She'd woken up and tried to escape, but had ended up falling off the table and immediately began asking the morgue worker for help. Uh, you know, sometimes the basics, like if you're in the medical field, you know, we've got nurses and prospective nurses in our midst, uh, Checking vitals, right? It could be the difference between whether or not you're going to end up in a scary situation later on. It's one of those survival skills that uh, you're going to need to have if you're in that field. But, it, but it's easy, it's really easy to move past the basics. Some of the things that have become routine, that have become boring. In fact, the word basic in our culture today, it's, it's a bit of a slur, right? It's, it's a bit of a slang word for somebody who's mainstream, who's lame, who, you know, shops at, at Target or Walmart or whatever. You know, it's like your, your clothing line isn't unique. I don't know if I just described everybody in the room, myself included. Uh, but you're, you're basic, you know. You don't really get it. Uh, you, you know, you probably listen to Nickelback or whatever, you know. Uh, th that's the way that that word gets used. And we live in a time that is, it's obsessed with new. And new comes so much faster than ever. You swipe down and you have an update. New information, a new interpretation on what's taking place in the world, right? We, we, we like the adventure that comes with something I've never experienced before, never seen before, never encountered before. We like the thought of, of standing out and being unique, you know, being special among a world of special people. Um, but so much is getting thrown at us, and, and eventually that, that's pretty tough to manage, right? The flood of change and something that you're suddenly supposed to really care about and have an opinion about and promote and double tap like that you only found out about yesterday. But how do you keep up with all of that? Even with many things being shut down this year, we're still in a whirlwind. And we need some priorities for life. We, we need some basic survival skills for life in this world. And, that, and that's what our series is going to be about that we're starting tonight. And the first topic we're going to look at is the gospel itself. And you can grow up in the church, you can know the word gospel, you may or may not know that it, it means good news, it's, it's a message, it's something that would show up in a news feed, right? It's, it's an announcement of something you want to hear about. It comes from back when, you know, a, a victory was won on the battlefield and the herald would run back to town and say, hey, we won, 
Everything is going to be okay. It worked out in our favor. That, that's what a gospel is. And I hope you were paying attention on Sunday morning with Pastor Keith taking us finally arrived at 1 Corinthians 15 and this gospel of first importance. And it's so important, you're going to get to hear about it again uh, tonight. And we're going to dive into it uh, this month as well. But think about this. What good news are you hoping arrives your way like yesterday? What, what update would help you? Who, whose text message are you waiting for a reply from, right? What, 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 do you, what, what, you know, who, what team did you make? What, what test is about to get canceled? You know, maybe school's going to get canceled on Friday because of the hurricane, right? What would bring comfort to you? What would settle some of the, the pressures that you're facing? Right? Whose who's acceptance in your life, if you found out that they think you're really cool, or they think you're really funny, or she thinks you're really attractive, or he thinks you're really cute. Right? Whose opinion would that be welcomed news to be on the receiving end of? Because we're all hungry for good news. There's been a lot of bad news this year. Right? Right? Parents, what, what life circumstance or reality needs to get settled in place in order for you to feel like you have security, that you have hope for the future, right? What, what needs to take place in the life of your kids? What, what grades need to get in order? Or what situation needs to get resolved? Or what relational tension needs to be fixed? What financial need has to be solved in order for you to be okay? At the heart of the Christian faith is life-defining news. That's not designed for all those things that I've just mentioned primarily, but it impacts every single one of them. I'm going I'm to start with the punchline. You know, I, I'm not great at telling jokes, but if I, if I were, I'd probably fumble them anyway. So I'm going to give you the punchline of the message up front, and then we're going to dive into it. Or look at this thought here from Brian Crosby. He says, poll after poll has revealed that American teenagers' number one fear is being alone. These same polls also reveal that the second greatest fear, which leads to being alone, is rejection. Right, you can just be honest with yourself if that rings true for you. The irony, of course, is that these same teenagers want to be different. Youth want to be known blemishes, sin, and all, and told, I'm going to love you and accept you anyway. If we would but realize that this is the gospel message, you are more sinful than you would ever imagine, and yet through faith in Christ, you are more accepted and loved than you could ever dream. And that's our two points for tonight. First, we are worse off than we could imagine. Turn open to John chapter 3 in your Bible. hope you bring a Bible to youth and to times when we're doing discipleship groups. It'll be up on the screen as well. But our, our first thought is that we are worse off than we could imagine. When I was preparing this message, what was playing in the back of my mind, maybe Eric, you're thinking of this song lyric at the same moment, was from Ten Shekels Shirt, right, cheer up, you're worse off than you figure. Uh, you don't know who that band is, but that was playing in my mind. And it made me think of another story that I heard. 
Uh, a pastor named Bob Coughlin talks about a time, I think he was in his mid-30s. He was in ministry, right? He had maturity as a Christian, many years of walking with God even, even then. And yet it just was a time of anxiety and depression and hopelessness and confusion. It just was a dark cloud that had settled over his soul and over his life that he didn't know how to fix. And he was walking with another one of uh, his fellow pastors, a man named Gary Ricucci. And at, at one point, he just told Gary, I'm just, I'm hopeless. And Gary turned to him and said, Bob, here's the good news. You're not hopeless enough. You haven't really yet come to the end of yourself, to releasing the thought that you've got to fix this, that it's, it's going to be your competence, it's going to be your management, it's going to be your smarts that are going to pull you out of the circumstances that you face. You need to give up hope in you in order to ultimately find hope. Could it be that some of your greatest freak out moments happen because you're not hopeless enough. You're still clinging to the idea that you can pull it off. Well, we get introduced to a man who thought that way in our passage. Let's read together. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus would have been a, a name that was known around town. In Jesus' day, he was considered to be a leader. He was considered to be a devout person. He was respected. People looked up to him for the problems that they faced. He was considered to be one of the closest people to God. He, he, he was in power. He was a member of the, of the Sanhedrin, which was kind of like the Supreme Court. For Israel, there, there were 70 members on, on, on this council, and he was one of them. He's even described by, by Jesus here in John chapter 3 later on as the teacher of Israel. So he's the expert. That's what he's known for. He's an accomplished man. And, and the first words that come out of his mouth, it's a bit of a humble brag. It sounds like he's talking about Jesus, but he's inserting himself in the picture. It's kind of like, you know, when people say, you know, well, enough about me. Let's talk about you. What do you think of me? Right? That's, that's what he pulls off here. He says, teacher, we know that you've come from God. Right? The, the, the important people have done our assessment. We've done our review. We've, we've come with our findings, and, and we think you checked the boxes, Jesus. And, 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 and we're willing, we, we normally only add somebody to our club once a year, but we're willing to make a special case from you. Like, you, you are a good teacher that God has sent. We know that. He's still trusting in his own ability to evaluate things, to draw the correct conclusions. He's got all the right answers. And he enters the conversation feeling good 
about what he brings to the table, but, but, but there's a problem here. Nicodemus, you are worse off than you think, much worse. I, I truly, I say to you, you are not going to see heaven in this condition. Jesus cuts him down to size. We don't like being humbled in this way. We don't like being put in our place. When we finally think we've figured something out, we're on the right track. And Jesus was always catching people off guard in this way. And he'd, he'd tell them, you've got to become like a child. You've got to be born again. You've got to be resurrected because you are stone cold in the morgue. You're not like that lady that just got up and walked because she wasn't really dead. She just was keeping up the appearance of it. You need rescue from the outside. This is the way that Jesus brings his mercy to us. He he first helps us see our foolishness in thinking that we can manage things on our own. Maybe you've come across this meme making its way out. (laughs) I've seen different pictures of this, but like, the, the people, people pushing the pickup truck and then there's the guy standing on the bed, you know, adding in all of his might and strength to help push the truck uh, uh, along as well. This is what we look like when we think that we're helping God out, right? When we, our, our best efforts that we can bring to the table, our ability to get all the answers correct in the LCC Kids Quiz Bowl, right? I'm a, I'm a good church kid. Whatever it is that you're known for, your smarts, that's what we think that we bring to the table. There's another genre of uh, internet meme, which is the DIY uh, failures. Here are a couple of those right, where, where the uh, sink faucet gets placed, uh, you know, measure, measure twice, cut once. Um, uh, just, just, you know, keeping up with the bathroom setting. Uh, these get more and more tragic as we go along. Uh, if, if your shower head is out, that's one interesting way to solve that problem. Uh, and then there's, you know, it, maybe you need a humidifier, you know, to help protect you against uh, COVID. And, and so there's the fanning of the toilet water and uh, cycling that out in, into, your, uh, into your room, right? Um, we, people approach relating with God like it's a DIY project gone wrong. And anybody can do this. People can, can hope in their own goodness, they can be a rule follower, they, they can feel like because they're not that bad of a person that they're, they're managing this approach to God. Or people can kind of throw off traditional morality. This is what's happening in the culture around us. I hope you notice this. There's more and more throwing off of traditional morality, but it's not no morality. It, it, it's, it, there's a new progressive morality that gets put in its place. There's a, there's a new standard of the right way to act and the right kind of person to be and what gets applauded and celebrated and what gets denounced and called out and canceled. And so whether you're old school or new school, you, you can have this, this thought of, I, I can approach God on the terms that make sense to me. I can go ahead and fix the faucet and not make it be a total failure, right? The, the, the reason why all those things happen is at some point, people settled for good enough. Like, that'll work. 
it's just as good, right? You know, it kind of fixes the problem. Uh, it, no, it's going to get posted on the internet because it's so embarrassing. But, but we can have that same thought of what I bring to God is going to be good enough. And that's the perspective that Nicodemus has here. Right? These, these approaches don't deal honestly with who we are. But this is a passage that, that gets in your face. It, it gets in the face of the spiritual ideas of 21st century America because it tells you something that you can't do. And how often does that message get played? That there are things you can't do, that you can't become, no matter how much you look deep inside, no matter how much inner energy you develop, no matter how much motivation there is and how many dreams that reside inside of your heart that you just will not be able to pull off. Because inside and outside the world of the church, a lot of people are being told that the sky's the limit. Just set your eyes on the heights and soar. Anything that you set your mind to, you can do. And here Jesus says, Nicodemus, you cannot see heaven. You don't have the ability. I don't care what your credentials are. You are not hopeless enough. You need to be made new. Notice Nicodemus comes at night here, and there could have been different reasons why he was motivated to do that. Um, but he is surrounded by darkness in this scene. And yet the greatest darkness has entered the conversation inside of him. Are you aware of what's inside of you? Jesus sees right through every person. He sees right into the inner being of Nicodemus. He saw again and again as he interacted with people. And by the way, if you, if you find the gospel boring, if you find the Bible boring, read these interactions that Jesus had with the people that he met and how he knows exactly what they need, how he cuts past all of their defenses and their evasions and he accesses them in the places that they have kept locked away and hidden. Notice what comes right before this passage. It's helpful to kind of back up and read the context of any verse that you're reading. And so chapter two, there weren't chapter divisions in the Bible originally. We added those to kind of find out where stuff is. Chapter two, verse 23 says this. Now when Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. To play on words, it's the same verb that's used earlier on for belief. So Jesus didn't believe their belief. He saw it for what it was. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. Keep reading next verse. Now there was a man 
of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night. Right, going from one verse about how Jesus sees right inside of every single person, and here comes the next character stepping onto the stage for the moment of truth. Right, we're, we're much more in touch with what's outside of us than what's inside of us. Right, which I, I was having a conversation with uh, one of you before this, this meeting earlier, and um, high school guy, and, and, and he just was bringing some insight into what's inside of him. And just, just encouraged him that, that, that that's not typical uh, for, for, for people your age. It's not typical for human beings in general. Right? We're, we're much more in touch with who around me is a problem, who's not been fair to me, right? maybe, maybe what's the, un, the injustice and the brokenness and the evil in the world out there. Right? We, we have from an early age this sense that the people around us are not right. There's this kind of cosmic thirst, this cosmic rule of justice that we're aware everybody answers to. And we want that fixed for everybody else. I heard on an episode of This American Life once they um, talked about this, uh, this kindergarten classrooms, pre-COVID stuff, right? And they set up in, in the middle of the, of the classroom a telephone, a hotline. And it was the tattle phone. And basically, I think the kindergarten teachers had gotten tired with all of the times one of the students would come up and tattle about something somebody else did. They broke a toy. They, they ate paste. They, you know, whatever. They, they said something to them. And, and, but it was recorded. And eventually gets produced on radio. Uh, all the, the, the little injustices that took place in the kindergarten classroom. And, and, and they interviewed some of the kids about, why do you like talking to the tattle phone, you know? And one of them described it, it's like eating ice cream, you know? <laughs> this sense of like, I can gossip about other people. I can tell the wrongs that others have done. All the unfairness that I have faced. And maybe somewhere heaven is listening and will make things right. We know about the wrongness outside. An author named G.K. Chesterton submitted this essay for the London Times. They, they asked the question of several people, what do you think is wrong with the world today? What's our problem? And he submitted this response. Dear sir, I am. End of the essay. <laughs> uh, that's a self-awareness that few come by. But do you know what's in you? Right, outside we can look nice and clean, we're, we're good at covering up and, and putting on our, our best face forward. You know, we're all, we're all uh, wearing masks, but we've been doing it for, you know, before 2020. Typically our masks don't look like Macaulay Culkin's here uh, from uh, Home Alone. He's <laughs> plastered onto his face the, the scene of when he put on the aftershave uh, in New York. Uh, that guy, by the way, is 40 years old, so if that makes anybody, uh, feel old in, in, in this room, but you can take that off the screen now. Um, but we have ways of trying to make sure that people don't really figure out who we are. Do you know how you do that? 
Are you honest with the selfishness inside of you? Of how easily you would drop somebody, shove somebody aside if it works for you? Ways you, you look out for number one, and if others get hurt in the process, you might give it a second thought, it might be a regret, and then you move on. Have you, are you aware of the ambition that sits inside of you? Of, of this, this fight for what's going to work for you, for the things that you've desired to be, the recognition that you want, the, the sense of acceptance that you desire to have from others. And so that'll be a controlling feature that'll cause you to either work a room or avoid a room, to speak up, or to stay quiet. And moment by moment, you're, you're looking to that to give you permission for what you're going to do next. Are you aware of the jealousy or the hatred that's inside of you? Are there people that you just hate because they've wronged you They've rejected you. They've made life harder for you. Or maybe they've done nothing to you and there's just something about them that it's just fun to despise them. It's just fun to kind of treat them as less than human. As somebody that just regularly is the butt of the, of the jokes and never included in the jokes with you and your friends. You ever take a moment to actually look at that and realize how ugly it is? You wear the lust that is inside of you. You're aware of how easy it is day by day, week by week, month after month to live without any thought or concern or desire for God. To act as if he either doesn't exist or is pushed to the corners of irrelevance in how you feel about life, in what you want, in what you're most passionate and concerned about. There have been different moments in my life where just I've had to come to grips with the darkness within. I mean, I can... I can remember being in fifth grade and being a largely good church kid on the outside. Every now and then I'd, I'd make it difficult for the people that taught me in children's ministry. Sorry, Miss Ellen, you know. Um, but also just, I, I, I've, got, I've got memories of riding my bike in my neighborhood and thinking about the things I'd recently said things I'd recently done that I hope nobody would ever find out about. Things that I, I needed the Bible's word evil to describe. Do you know what's in you? Jesus does. 
and he loves you still. That's the good news for the bad news. And look at our second thought here. We're more loved than we could dream. Jesus goes on in his conversation with Nicodemus. In verse 12, he says, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Right, here's a basic verse. Don't do life without it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved the world. And when you read that, don't think of, you know, that kind of first grade picture of planet earth with everybody circling around it holding hands and singing songs you know the the world in the gospel of john is not just a big place with a bunch of people it's a place of darkness it's a big place with a bunch of bad people like you and like me that god loves that god has targeted with his mercy that god has pursued with his sending mission of his son coming down from heaven Nicodemus said we know that you're a good teacher Jesus he had no clue that he was the one who had come down from heaven who had descended and who would be lifted up not first in praise and recognition but lifted up looking like a snake on a pole what's that all about something that's been in the headlines this year is the World Health Organization with uh, all that's been taking place with the pandemic. And here is their, their flag right here. And so the, the World Health Organization uh, uses as its symbol this, this picture of a snake wrapped around a pole. And that's become a, a symbol now for centuries for healing and for health and for wholeness. Where did that come from? It comes from the Old Testament. It comes from the book of Numbers where God had rescued his people out of their slavery in Egypt. He had shown goodness to them again and again. He had, you know, all the things we sang about tonight, he's the way maker. He divided the waters. He led them through with a mighty and outstretched arm. He made water come from rocks. He made bread fall from heaven. Every day, every day the people were fed by a miracle. And yet they come to a place of feeling like, God, you don't care about us. <laughs> you, ever, you ever use that phrase, pull that out on your parents, pull that out on one of your friends? You don't really care. Right? You, you zoom so close into one particular moment, the past 30 seconds and how you haven't gotten what you want. And now you're grumbling and you're angry about that because they're not letting you do that. They're not letting you talk to that person or see that friend. You don't even love me. Well, that's the people of Israel right now. To the God of the universe that has held them under the shelter of his wing again and again. 
and like Adam and Eve in the garden of paradise and now in a wilderness, they say, God, you don't provide for our needs. You just want us to die, don't you? And so God helps them to see, no, your, your problem is much worse than that. And he sends these serpents, these snakes come into the camp and they start biting people and people are getting sick and people are dying with the act of judgment that God has brought upon their sin. But then he tells Moses to do this. He says, take a, a snake and make it out of bronze or, or copper um, and, and put it up on a pole and whoever would lift their eyes and look to it would be healed. They wouldn't have to army crawl in its direction. They wouldn't have to run a marathon. They wouldn't have to deliver a speech about all the things that they're sorry for doing. They just would have to look. They just would have to see something hung in the place that they deserve to be. And they could live. And Jesus says to Nicodemus here, you think I'm the good teacher? That, that's the role I've come to fulfill. That's the kind of mess that you are in and the drastic healing that you require. Jesus was lifted up like a serpent, ugly, a symbol of sin and rebellion, the horror of crucifixion in our place. And it was a story that was told 1,400 years before his arrival, all the way back to the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the beginning of creation has been reaching for this moment. Love the way that C.S. Lewis puts it in his book, The Four Loves. He says, he creates the universe already foreseeing the buzzing cloud of flies above the cross, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. The cross is the diagram of love himself. You want to be loved? Do you want to be known in all of the ugliness that is inside of you and loved by the one who has taken it all upon himself and says, look and live and you will have everlasting life. Not, not a life that's going to run out. Not, not the, the, you know, my, my phone charge doesn't ever remain these days and, it, you know, the, the little plug-in for the connector's damaged and so it's always dying on battery. And everything that we touch in life, every feature that we grasp for and want, it, it, it runs out and it comes to an end and yet God's promise what gets delivered on the other side of this good news is life that never ends. Life as it was intended to be. Life of wholeness and acceptance with him for those who look because they're looking away from themselves. They're not trying to put any hope 
and pretending to be okay. But they're trusting the, the one who was righteous in their place and died with their name in mind. October 31st is, is not only Halloween, it's also the anniversary of the Reformation. And Martin Luther, who um, one of the primary people that God used to spark this time in the history of the church to return to the gospel, to return to the Bible, he said this. He said, if, if I could only come to find that God isn't mad at me, I would stand on my head for joy. And later on, as he's reading the book of Romans, he said he, he, he beat upon the apostle until he found out what he meant. And he said, he said this, all at once I felt that I had been born again. Right, there's the word from John 3. And entered into paradise itself through open gates. And what about you? Have you entered paradise? You stand on your head for joy? Are you still waiting for some other news update that tells you it's going to be okay for you? Something that you can pull together, something that you can self-protect, something that you can achieve, some way that you can be impressive that brings you into this place that you call life. Listen, the gospel may be basic, but day after day, it is what will settle an anxious soul. It's what will relieve the pressures of performance. It's what will bring you into paradise to those who look and live. So I want to pray for us. I want to pray whether this is the first time for you of really coming to grips with who you are and how much you need him and you're looking in faith. Or is it, if this is the 100th time or the 200th time where you remember again, Jesus, he's enough. I don't have to keep it together. I want to pray for faith. Let's go to the Lord. God, we need good news. We are inundated with bad news. It grabs our attention. And even if we're ever alone and ever find a way to dial back the noise, the bad news from within greets us. Thank you for a message from the outside. Thank you for a son of man who came to us when we could never come to him, we could never even see him for who he is. If you would not open our eyes, open them now, have our attention, cast our gaze upon the one who was lifted up in our place. And may the love and the life 
that we have in him be everything we need. May it cause us to stand on our head for joy in a broken world. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, y'all, we're gonna take some time next Wednesday to pray, and then after that, we'll take some time to continue to process these things together. So thank you for being here tonight, and we'll let you know about next Friday.